Hello and welcome to Health Outreach Partners podcast series, The COVID-19 Pandemic and What It Taught Us. In this eight-part series, we'll hear from subject matter experts on the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic, particularly its effects on mental health and well-being. In each episode, you'll hear from different members of our healthcare workforce, community members, and Health Outreach Partners' own team about challenges and lessons learned from the pandemic. We appreciate the importance of reflection and recognition on the profound impacts COVID-19 and the pandemic response efforts have had on our lives and on our mental health. We're excited to share lessons learned from our esteemed guests and imagine a safer, healthier world for all. As the final episode in HOP's podcast series, we are looking forward uh, on focusing on the support and recovery efforts from the impacts of COVID-19 and the impacts of the pandemic on frontline workers and support staff. And we have with us today to talk about supporting our healthcare workforce, Catherine Schlafer, who's Vice President of Enterprise Occupational Health and Safety with United Health Group. For 15 years, Catherine has protected the health and well-being of frontline and virtual care providers and support staff by addressing burnout and exhaustion. And so welcome, Catherine. Thank you so much uh, for being with us today. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me. And I was alluding to this in the intro, but, uh, you know, promoting and protecting the health and well-being of the workforce has really taken on a whole new meaning because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, The impacts of burnout and compassion fatigue and really stress have been felt by practically every level of our healthcare system over the course of the pandemic. So your field, the field of occupational health and safety in particular, have been grappling with how best to support staff and clinicians throughout the pandemic. And so I thought we could just start off by talking about the field of occupational health and safety and in particular, how have they approached the problems presented by the pandemic? Sure. So our mission in OCK Health and Safety is to protect and promote the health and safety of our team members and those they serve. You know, and for the pandemic, we were really at the epicenter of preparedness and response efforts, and we were at a global Fortune 5 company. So needless to say, we saw and felt a lot and were challenged in ways we had necessarily been challenged before. First and foremost, a lot of what we did was provide infection prevention guidance and training to our workforce, which became an ever-evolving and ongoing requirement as we continued to learn more about COVID and how to prevent spread and how to, you know, diagnose and treat and whatnot. And so we started working really around the clock at the beginning of 2020 as news of this emerging infectious disease took hold. And, you know, early on in the pandemic, we really saw that impact immediately on our workforce, especially the frontline workforce. And I know many people are well aware of the toll it took on our frontline healthcare workers, but what we saw was just the shrinkage of that workforce as they were impacted by COVID, right? As they're juggling quarantine and isolation requirements, trying to meet the needs of loved ones at home or kids who no longer had schools to go to, and then simultaneously meeting the demand of the increased need of care services and support. And so their time was really stretched thin. 
And then on top of this, and this is where my team was involved in how we had to try and be very creative in how we approach this through the pandemic, but really in, in training them and ensuring they knew what to do to keep themselves safe, right? What were those protocols to implement? We had to continually update and revise them. And, you know, especially in 2020, there were supply chain challenges. So when you think about healthcare workers and the protections we had in place in 2020, we relied heavily on respirators and N95 protection, and they became very hard to come by. And so, you know, you would fit test with one respirator, which is incredibly time consuming and labor intensive. And then we'd run out of it and have to go through that process again and then again. And, you know, that toll and that continually repeating of different practices, I think, really exacerbated the strain that that frontline workforce felt. And I think, you know, there's there's one side of it, too, that is often overlooked as we take a look back at learnings throughout the pandemic. And that's the strain placed on the many administrative team members who worked you know, virtually to support the effective delivery of care. And so I don't mean only our virtual care providers, but also our operations and call center teams who make healthcare work in the background. And again, UHG is a large and diverse healthcare enterprise, and we've got a significant footprint of health, uh, frontline healthcare workers. We also have two to three times as many administrative staff who aren't on the front lines, but really we're also working around the clock to support them. Um, and I think what they started to feel was the burden of lack of human interaction, right? There was a mass migration to move to virtual work environments. They lost human contact. You know, the world shut down social interactions. They didn't have any way to sort of refill their their cup. And then as we moved to work virtually, the lines blurred between work and home or professional and private lives as computers and cell phones made folks accessible all day, every day. And so you'd wake up taking meetings, you'd go to bed completing emails, you'd wake up in the middle of the night answering calls from your global team members, you know, frantically trying to address the situation halfway around the world. And so I think, in, in I guess the, the other thing I would add to that is those who were on more of a customer or uh, for us, it was an employee serving or team member serving role, people lost sort of their anchor to social mores, right? We we forgot how to interact respectfully with one another, communicate clearly. We'd been so isolated um, in virtual worlds. And I think it made interactions incredibly stressful and more challenging, especially as we were learning to work in that virtual environment to start. So every hour was an emotional roller coaster, <laughs> you know, yeah. for those who were on the front lines and those who weren't. Completely. Um, and if you're if you're trying to support these folks and everybody's kind of at a different place on that roller coaster, the supports that you're trying to provide, I'm sure, are very nuanced and can really differ depending on kind of where that person is at that exact moment in time. Uh, around how they're handling the pandemic, but also the nature of their work, be it virtual or in person, or um, maybe a hybrid of both. I think that's a great call out. I think a lot of where we had to focus on uptraining our virtual workers was in 
you know, emotional intelligence and how to best understand the room and de-escalate the virtual room, I should say, right? And de-escalate conversations and meet people where they're at because you're right, everybody was on an emotional roller coaster. And it really was just a human struggle to figure out how to navigate that together, especially when we didn't have the benefit of close human interaction and collaboration throughout. And so um, there are still quite a few staff, though, at, at throughout the pandemic that were also in person that never never ceased to be in person, correct? And so was it really different, the types of supports that you had to provide to folks dealing with the pandemic on a, in a professional setting who were still seeing in-person visits versus uh, staff that had transitioned to being virtual and working in teams virtually and all the things you mentioned about being at home and, and navigating the, the new situation? Yes, the supports were different. And I would say what we really tried to do was find the commonalities between the two. So everyone was struggling with COVID in their own ways, right? Even those on the front line may be struggling with childcare, maybe struggling getting food to sick family members. There were just so many commonalities with those early struggles that what we tried to do was make the benefits and services available to all team members. And then really go that extra mile for our frontline workers. And we had the benefit with frontline workers to do more in-person team building. They were covered in PPE, right? They were already interacting as safely as possible. The challenge with them was finding the time and the energy to do it because you didn't want to take them away from the important work they were doing and really respect the fact that their time was already stretched. They They were already making huge sacrifices. You know, some were staying in hotels to try and protect their families and so they could get to and from work more quickly and be on call and readily available as maybe their colleagues would be taken out. So there were some differences, yes, I would say, where we were able to provide more in-person support and services to our frontline, but there were a number of services that we were able to make available across the board to all employees, regardless of where they were working. Yeah, I'm curious. Um if you could describe what some of those supports were, whether they were kind of universal for the in-person and and virtual, or whether they were different between those two groups, and then also maybe how effective uh, you felt they were, or maybe some of the lessons you learned along the way in providing those supports. Sure. So I think one of the things United Health Group did well. And one of the things I was most proud to be a part of was really coming together as a collaborative organization where we broke down the traditional workplace barriers and silos and really connected across businesses and functional areas, products, hierarchies, countries, etc., to identify the best practices we all had in our various areas of expertise in the various types of services and benefits we had available and bring them together in a you know, synthesized way to offer to employees. And in doing this, the enterprise stood up something called United Cares, which was a program for our team members and their families who were impacted by COVID in any way. And again, it it pulled from all the best products and practices we had across the uh, enterprise and synthesized those items to offer to employees depending on where they were. So it addressed physical, social, emotional, financial, and basic needs, things like support with childcare, which I know I've already mentioned. 
advances on paychecks for those who were unable to work or too sick to work so that they could make, you know, pay the bills at the end of the month, food delivery, um, social supports within the community, um, mental and behavioral support through our EAP programs, through our apps, Sanvelo, Calm, 10% Happier, which is COVID sanity guide. I think some of us still need that. And then for those struggling and working in isolation from home, we created different types of peer groups where folks could interact and colleague affinity groups where they could meet others from across the organization who had similar interests. We did a lot of live video engagements of different leaders so that people had connectivity, not just to their natural leaders, but to other leaders across the organization and really tried to be visible and create so many different forums for people to connect, to feel that inclusion, to feel like they were still aware of what was going on and that the company was still caring for them and looking out for them. For those who were on site, we did a lot of sponsoring of meals, um, created swag and thank you bags and welcome kits and things like that. Stood up sweepstakes for different types of campaigns and had really fun awards or awards that we would have used for other types of events that were no longer happening, we were able to then give to employees and, and create some fun challenges for them to participate in. So it was really a variety of services in leaning into creativity and innovation in ways we probably have never done before to, to try to engage, motivate, and influence team members at any level and every level across the, across the organization. Yeah, wow, that's so it's so multi-pronged and multifaceted. I'm really impressed how how comprehensive it seems um that your your services and and just the ideas that you came up with, you know, in terms of taking care of people's personal needs, um but also seems like I've heard you mention a lot about connection among coworkers, or connection among teams, connection among uh, different departments, or like you mentioned about hearing from different leaders. So you're not just only hearing from your direct supervisor and that sort of thing. Um, you know, one thing from our end at Health Outreach Partners, you know, we have about half of our staff uh, or maybe a little more was together before the pandemic and had our daily face-to-face, -face, you know, we traveled together, we're able to create some of those bonds that way. And then we've also hired a number of people since the pandemic where we've been mostly virtual or now kind of a little bit of a hybrid setup. And so I'm just, I'm curious to hear from you if, if anything has changed or the way that you approach the kinds of supports that you're offering to staff, if that's changed for staff that have been hired since the pandemic began and if there are kind of new challenges in terms of incorporating into the team or creating those connections that you've emphasized in a lot of the supports that you provided? Sure, I, that's a great question. And, and I think one of the things we've tried to do quite a bit through this year is identify those best practices we leaned into during the pandemic and carry them forward. And one of those things is really the virtual engagements and how is it that we can include a virtual component into all of the different types of activities we do. Um, and it's not just to accommodate, you know, administrative versus frontline, but we're in, you know, a, a hard flu RSV COVID season right now. There's a lot of respiratory infection and a lot of folks are sick these days. 
Um, so still being able to participate, you know, without having to come on site or feel like they should come on site if they're symptomatic um, and use, you know, there, there's just a lot of ways to lean into technology to use, you know, breakout sessions at large conferences and have virtual participants included in each one, ensuring that you have somebody in any of your meetings always you know, monitoring the virtual environment and including them, calling on them to ensure their voices are heard using video, I think helps a lot. I know I met a number of people from our, across our organization during the pandemic, and many of them I never had the opportunity to meet until this year. And because we had used video for two years, people didn't realize we had never met in person by the time we finally did. <laughs> you know, that there is a way to create that sense of connectivity and inclusivity with technology. Yeah. Um, yeah so I, I just, I encourage people to lean into it. <laughs> I've had that same feeling where I, I'm like, actually with Margaret, who's been hosting the podcast where she came um, in person to one of our planning meetings. And I said, Oh, Hey, Margaret. And, not having connected that that was the first time we were meeting it was just oh yeah margaret's here just just like she is every other tuesday on our staff meetings um, <laughs> just on zoom um i love that um well you know one thing that we hear a lot is how workers in the healthcare uh field are some of the most stressed in the u.s um, I know that there's a Robert Wood Johnson Foundation statistic that now is a few years old, but it was uh, that showing that workers in the healthcare field uh, are the most stressed at uh, 69% reporting job-related stress. Uh, this has only gotten worse during the COVID-19 pandemic, surely. And, um, you know, with a lot of the strains that you mentioned your staff were feeling. Uh, so I'm curious to hear from you if, now looking to the future, um, what still needs to be done in order to support healthcare staff and try to mm -hmm. avoid um, burnout and, and fatigue? That's a great question. And I think one of the things that has challenged healthcare employees for a while is the transition to electronic medical records, right? And this increased burden of administrative work. And that again was exacerbated through the pandemic is not only did they have to do you know, new administrative work around COVID diagnosis, treatment, vaccine documentation, et cetera, but it was all new criteria, right? To learn and to record. And I think that will continue. So understanding how we can streamline the technology they use and really reduce the administrative burden on healthcare workers themselves um, I imagine there aren't many healthcare workers who went into the field to interact with a computer most of the day versus, you know, face-to-face -face really valuing that patient interaction and helping people live healthier lives. Um, and so I think that's really been part of what drove burnout prior to the pandemic and has, you know, been part of what continues to exacerbate it. And then I think the thing that we really try and look at is there's a connection between burnout and patient quality and safety. And I know you've mentioned it, there's been a number of different studies recently on it, but you know, in the past people have put a lot of effort and focus into improving patient quality and safety and improving patient outcomes. And I think 
What's really notable is that this year, the Institute for Healthcare Improvement added workforce well-being and safety as a key pillar to their overall patient quality and safety efforts. Um, and it's truly fundamental in achieving the quadruple aim and ensuring high patient quality and, and that safety. And I think remembering that and working to elevate the focus on on employee or team member well-being as we move forward will be really critical for a number of different reasons. And we're on the journey of doing that within United Health Group now and in moving the two work efforts closer together. And it allows us to be more integrated and holistic in how we approach and cultivate um, a culture of safety across the enterprise, right? So not only does that benefit our team members, it's also benefiting the, the people we serve which is why we're all in business. So I think, you know, remembering to prioritize that and how much it can positively impact the quality of care will be key here. And yeah, so, I was, you know, in, in, in listening to you, it's, I think it, it is understandable how uh, workforce well-being might contribute to that. But I, I thought maybe just for those listening who may not, be as well versed in uh, kind of the field or maybe not work as directly with patients or with providers, maybe to just describe why is it that it's important to reinforce and improve workforce well-being in order for overall patient satisfaction and quality of care to improve. I think as we, if you think back to what happened during the pandemic, it becomes very clear to see the connection. Um, as we continue to ask more and more of our healthcare workers, we saw the mental and physical fatigue increase. And when people are tired, they make mistakes. They have less patience or energy to serve the people they're there to serve. It's harder for them to concentrate in conversations. You know, they're distracted by a number of other things because there's so much mental fatigue they can't adequately focus on, on the present moment. Uh, and that really results in poor patient um, rapport. It yeah. really challenges them in developing patient rapport, right? Patients want to feel heard and understood. All people want to feel heard and understood. But if a provider is so tired or so fatigued, they either don't have the time to offer that to the patient or they, they're just too distracted by all of their other priorities. It inhibits that establishment of rapport. It can impact the way patients perceive the quality of care they were receiving. And then in terms of safety, yeah, I think we can all agree. It's just, it's easier to make an inadvertent mistake when we're tired or overworked. And so if you can take care of your people, you can help them provide the best care they're able to provide and the best experience for the people they serve. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's really well framed. Um, and really, if the patient has a positive experience and receives better care or higher quality care, they're more likely to follow up, to trust, um, you know, if they have that rapport, to trust the recommendations their provider's giving them, um, and also to be a return patient and to, to come back and increase retention is not just good for them seeking their care, but it's good for UHG or whoever, um, you know, whoever their, their providers are, um, that they're coming back um, and that they're, they're seeking follow-up care or maintaining, uh, maintaining their health. Absolutely. I think it also helps 
them understand their care program, right? So sometimes there's confusion around medication compliance or, or other health recommendations. And the stronger that rapport and that relationship is between the patient and provider, the easier it is for the patient to understand and follow uh, the recommendation to keep themselves healthier. Yeah, completely. And, and I'm, I'm so, it's so nice to hear that recognition also from, from somebody like yourself and from, from a, a company as big as UHG, because, you know, it really shows that it's not just something that, you know, a patient thinks about and, you know, providers are blind to, but, you know, knowing that that's such a priority for you all um, and increasing that provider well-being is such a priority too. And it's really impressive all the work that you all have done through the course of the pandemic, but I'm sure uh, beforehand as well. In fact, I would be remiss if I didn't mention our Center for Clinician Advancement, which has been focused on provider burnout for a number of years. And then we really invested in greater resources through the pandemic. And they have created a great suite of resources instead of terming it burnout. It's really around the joy in practice and reigniting that joy for serving and providing healthcare and services. And I do believe we're able to make a series of podcasts that they produced available publicly. But they, you know, it's a it's a whole library or suite of tools. And again, looking at multi-mode, multi-channel delivery. Um, multiple ways of engagement to really meet people where they're at and help lift them from burnout all the way up, you know, if there's a ladder, climb that whole ladder to the top of that joy in practice and move through various stages to get there. And so great tools, great resources. And again, they, they were initially developed for our healthcare workers, but have been used across the organization and impactful even for those who are working virtually or at their desks in the office. Wow, yeah, we'd be, we'd be happy to, um, you know, if you want to forward us any of the links or anything that we can share out um, to learn more about it, uh, about the Center for Clinician Advancement, um, that would be really interesting. And, and I'm sure the audience would love to hear more. Do you want to just describe maybe one or two examples of the, the tools that's included there and, and maybe some of the response that you've had from it? Sure. So there is a series of podcasts, which I mentioned, and those are available that address different scenarios in the workforce and in delivering care and how to overcome some common challenges. There are manager guides, um, which also provide short meeting exercises or ways to open your meetings to make sure you're integrating different aspects of you know, just mindfulness and connectivity in your day-to-day work. And I think that's one of the biggest key lessons here is that addressing burnout isn't a one-time thing or a once-a-month thing. You know, we're really trying to embed it in the culture and infuse it into all of our daily interactions. And so there were a lot of tools to, to support managers or leaders in doing that for their teams. They facilitate for those who are familiar with Ted Lasso, that cleansing bonfire, right? Which they can be done virtually. But again, adding levity to lighten the gravity of the situation, especially in the in the peak of the pandemic. And so, you know, these tools are very easily accessible, again, regardless of the type of work somebody is doing. And they're geared to be done either individually 
They can be led by managers or leaders, again, for a team. But they, they can do large events where it's really a concerted focus on, on reigniting that joy for the practice and why folks are there and, you know, being grateful for the things that they have and that they've learned, et cetera. And, and so quite a few different types of resources available there. Yeah, I, I, I really loved what you said about, you know, focusing on this is not a one-time thing, you know, addressing burnout or practicing self-care resilience. It's not a one-time thing, um, but it's a process. Uh, and we, you know, we, we at Health Outreach Partners, we have tools on self-care, but we've really started to separate the conversation or differentiate when we're talking about self-care to talk about it as organizational self-care, where, where you're creating a culture of self-care and um, promoting it as something that is important, not just to do on your own time, but to be woven into an organization or to a company like exactly like what, what you're doing at UHG, because if you're modeling it at the highest levels of an organization, then it normalizes it and promotes it for the staff. Um, it's not saying, hey, self-care is important, so make sure you're doing it, but it's actually carving out opportunities and, and creating pathways for folks to engage in it and engage in it successfully. So yeah, I usually, when I'm doing my presentations on this, you know, and webinars or conferences have a very similar line, like you said, that, you know, it's not a one-time thing, but it's, it's really an ongoing process. Exactly. And I think there's no better advice than to encourage people to just continually find ways to connect and support colleagues daily, right? To build that resilience. You did mention resilience. It's like the glass of water. You've got to keep refilling it, right? <laughs> to keep yourself going and positive. And it really improves the nature of the workplace. And I think some, some of the things that we've recommended is really just remembering that every effort makes an impact, right? It's don't wait take action now. It doesn't matter how small it is. It's something as simple as saying thank you in the moment for a gesture or a comment or a contribution to a conversation. Really starting with gratitude when you're starting meetings or starting daily huddles. Finding small ways, again, to include that levity into your day. A laugh goes a really long way, right? I mean, <laughs> that can fill folks up for quite a while in finding opportunities for those personal connections. I guess we've also done things like just hosting casual coffee breaks, either in person or virtually with different leaders where folks can come without an agenda and, you know, share what they're excited about for the holiday or summer or, you know, whatever, whatever's going on in their lives now and just find different ways to connect. And again, I, I, the one thing I would love to emphasize is just remembering to listen, right? Just like the patient needs to be listened to and felt like they're heard. I think all of our colleagues and team members seek that same thing. And just giving somebody the, the gift of listening can help curb burnout easily. Yeah. Wow, Catherine, you're full of gems. Uh, full of great, <laughs> great quotes. I'm loving it. Every effort makes an impact. Remember to listen. Um, I love how many times you've mentioned gratitude or you've mentioned joy or, you know, that just a, just a laugh goes a long way. So these are all great things for myself um, and anyone else listening to walk away with. And um, even though you've already kind of uh, gotten to this point, um, I thought before we wrap up, 
I'd just like to see if you have any other advice besides those great quotes um, <laughs> that you might like to give uh, to other facilities or health systems that are implementing protocols like this to address burnout among staff. So another strategy, I think, as we're moving into this hybrid type environment, right, and starting to ease back into what we once knew as normal is we now expect a different type of flexibility in life to some extent, right? We have all been pushed to limits we never knew we could surpass, and we did. Um, we all know that technology, we've learned how to use technology in ways we haven't before, and we're all, I would say, a little more raw with each other than we have been before because we're able to make better connections virtually or quicker because of what we've experienced and endured through the pandemic. And so I think what we are seeing is really trying to support team members in finding balance, creating space and reminding them it's important for them to take care of themselves so that they can take care of the work and they do, do it well, regardless, again, of whether it's in-person or virtual. Um, so trying to carve out some flexibility within schedules so they have the space to do that. Encouraging things like walking meetings or meetings with movement or, again, finding ways to add something fun or interactive into more business-oriented meetings. But the other thing is really creating those micro moments to give and receive gratitude and understand that when people have those days of emotional roller coasters or hard interactions with patients or clients or customers, give them the space to digest it, acknowledge it, move on from it, right? Versus trying to push through and deal with it later and that later never comes. So again, it's, it's really about figuring out how to make this all happen throughout each day and striking that balance between the professional and personal needs. And I can't, I can't emphasize often enough how important connection and inclusion is, right? We've seen the stress on mental and behavioral health. So just supporting different types of, of forums and engagement, social and professional for team members and defy hierarchy when you do it. Find ways for folks to connect and get to know people at any area or level of the organization. We've seen a lot of or hosted a couple of different things like virtual scavenger hunts or escape rooms or fireside chats. And, you know, it's, it's just a great opportunity, again, for people to get to know one another and develop that important relationship that helps them do better work and work together as a team. And I think you may have heard me refer to folks as team members quite a few times. We actually prefer that team because it really humanizes the role and more than employees. And, you know, it helps remind us that they're part of something bigger. And our goal in the end is to ensure that we are making uh, healthcare work better and helping people live healthier lives. And I think all of these things are, are critical and integral to doing that. Yeah. So thank you wow. for the opportunity. Of course, thank you so much and fantastic uh, final words to, to take into account and to live by. I think, you know, we all want to strive for balance and the better we can support that of our team members, um, the better they're going to end up and the better uh, our patients and community are going to end up uh, through their health outcomes and, and their well-being. Um, so thank you so much, Catherine. It was really uh, special to talk to you today. We're so thankful for you to dedicate some of your valuable time to be with us. 
And yeah, we really are appreciative of all the wonderful suggestions, strategies, and quotable gems that you delivered for us today. So uh, thank you again and um, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you for the privilege of being here and for doing the great work that you guys are doing. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Health Outreach Partners podcast, The COVID-19 Pandemic and What It Taught Us. This publication was supported by the Health Resources and Services Administration of the United States Department of Health and Human Services under grant number U3FCS4184801000, a national training and technical assistance cooperative agreement under American Rescue Plan Act funding in the amount of $211,821. This information or content and conclusions are those of the author and should not be construed as the official position or policy of, nor should any endorsements be inferred by, HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government. Thank you.